have with me today Dr. Samantha Campos, um, and uh, her area of interest and expertise is in pediatrics. And so I thought, oh, what a great topic. We can try to talk about pediatrics and let's pull some literature and see what's out there that we could we could do an in-depth discussion on. And um, to my um, immense disappointment, when I did said journal search or article search to find something, um, I was left with a whole lot of goose eggs. Uh, and so I thought maybe what we could talk about today in the realm of veterinary pediatrics, specifically puppies and kittens, um, is the lack of research, true primary research, because there is stuff out there. There are review articles, there are summaries, um, there are kind of guidelines and, you know, practice guidelines and things like that. And there's a lot of good stuff out there. But when you look at the references for those, it's usually one of the other review articles, or it's just some dude's opinion back from 1947, um, maybe some that's extrapolated from human pediatrics, but so maybe you can, you can get, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, it's actually kind of scary when you like track down the references for some of these papers, and it just becomes like into nothing, and it's just, you know, Joe Schmo said this, and it's sort of terrifying that we judge what we do based off of that. Um, and just studying for boards alone, they're like the two pediatric papers that they have mandated as like, you need to know these first of all are like what, 10 or 15 years, they're old. At least. Yeah. Um, and it's retrospective. Yeah. It's like the evaluation of medical and surgical management of dystocia. And that's really all that, that they deem as like worth it to know and nothing about like even like neonate care. Um, which is for a criticalist, like those are pretty critical yeah. patients. So I would say, I don't think it's that, and, and, and maybe this is, I'm a little biased because I'm on the exam committee and we are yeah. part <laughs> of deciding what is important. It's not necessarily that we don't deem it's important to there's know no, there's, there's nothing, nothing that yeah. I can reference. There's right. nothing I can say. I need you to go look at this primary right. literature and know this. And so everything comes down to what is, what does Maureen McMichael say? Right. Or, you know, or I mean, really, because there's just not that many people who have really had much of an interest. And so there's a handful of things out there. Um, but even just knowing normal reference ranges, right. some of that is not based on actual research. Yeah. Um, so I, maybe you can shed some light on, you know, some areas. I know you've had some interest in doing some of your own studies. So maybe you could um, talk about, you know, areas that you've said, this is a clear deficiency. Um, and you know, give a plug to, uh, you want to do some studies or maybe somebody else listening would want to join in and, and do some studies or do their own. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think the reference ranges in general for things, there's um, a paper that's a, a couple years old now in JVEC where they talk about the, the normals for kind of standard like blood gas values and hematocrit and things like that um, for puppies. And I think it went up to about like 54 days or so. So it didn't really progress beyond that point. Um, and it didn't look at full chemistry. So like there's actually not to, to my knowledge, any, any normal ranges for things like albumin or Billy or anything like that to kind of go off to, which is, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then when you're trying to extrapolate it in terms of, of treatment and, um, we essentially refer to them, always refer to them as little kind of like bags of water and what their volume requirements are. Um, what are, you know, that we, and we go up because we, they are, they are hard to sample off of. We're frequently not taking a lot of ton, a ton of samples. So it's just going off their clinical signs. Um, so, and we, I mean, again, we don't have a great pool of them because we frequently don't see a ton of neonates unless they're, you know, pretty sick because most people are pretty cautious with bringing them to the hospital. So I think, um, the chances of getting, uh, mining that, that data or getting that 
getting those resources from them um, is a little bit difficult um, as well. But yeah, we, we, we've mentioned before kind of extrapolating on the, the norm. So getting things like standard chemistry or even like CBC values for these guys, like what are the, what are their white cell counts do? What's what's considered normal? Um, since and we don't, when, right? Right, right. And so we, ha we have more data on their, their red blood cells, their hematocrit, but a lot less on like platelets and white blood cells and things like that. Um, but then some more of the standard chemistry values, like what is a normal albumin for a puppy? It yeah. kind of would be good to know. We, we do total solids yeah. on them, but like... So just as you were saying that, it occurred to me. So do you think it is, and it's probably multifactorial, but um, do you think it's more that it's difficult to do this type of research because you have tiny patients and it's just difficult, both technically challenging, but also you don't want to exsanguinate a puppy yeah. in order to get it for, you know, getting that research done. So you have a, a one week old, you know, neonatal puppy, it's like half a kilogram right. and you pull as much blood as you want to get a CBC chem and other things like that puppy's now done like, for, yeah. like, for like a week or two. Yeah. And so kind of mining them and watching them as a, um, as a like cohort would be kind of difficult because you're, you know, you can't do each individual puppy every, like, you know, every two or three days, I'm going to do a CBC and, and CBC chem and see how he does. Probably. So do you think that's the bigger issue or do you think it's just that we're not seeing as much and so we don't have the collective data? Yeah. I, so I think that like the general, at least from, from, here at the university, the people who are seeing these neonates most commonly um, are probably the repro team because she's the one who does the rechecks on ones that come in for dystocias or mm -hmm. they're just staying at home and they're not seeing a vet until they're hitting, you know, six weeks right. old and we're starting to vaccinate them. So um, I Which think... Which is another issue, right? right? You're bringing them into the hospital when they're potentially immunocompromised just right. by nature of their age, yeah. you know, that that's a risk. So if you don't have purpose-bred animals, then you're you're introducing additional risk to these right. patients. Right, right. And so I, you have like uh, places like at, at Penn where you have that setup that you have those patients you could you could utilize, um, and then the, the dogs there kind of in general they're they're large breed dogs. There are some beagle bassets, but there's a good number of like Labrador crosses and things like that 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 produce bigger puppies that you could probably safely if you're trying to aim for that one percent blood volume or body weight to to get that volume um, or to stay within that, that range. And so, um, I think something like that would definitely be more amenable to facilitating getting that data. I think it, you could still do it in the setting that we're in. It just becomes more tedious, more. What do you think? Like I, well, I mean, and then retrospective studies are going to be really difficult because we're not drawing blood right. unless they're really sick. Right. I mean, even when they come in, I don't know about your experience, but in mine, even when they come in really sick, I'm not always getting all nope. of those samples, partly because, I'm not even totally sure I'm going to be able to interpret it in a valuable way. Um, two, I'm worried about how much blood am I going to pull, and so I'm very picky and choosy about measuring certain things. Um, and so even retrospective studies are going to be fraught with issues yeah. um, in that regard. When I was trying to find articles and, um, you know, be a little more prepared for this than I am. Um, I came across, I can't remember now if it was like an AKC or it might have just been some random website, but said something about um, upwards of 30% of puppies and kittens don't survive after birth. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I don't even know if that's a real thing or if that's just like people's experience. Like, yeah, that seems like, you know, one in three of, you know, the puppies that, you know, breeders are just reporting that. Um, that's incredible. Like yeah. if that's true, like that's insane. So yeah. I, you were nodding when I said that. So I mean, I get, I'm, this is all, and it feels, I feel like, um, I feel like all of it is kind of a little bit fake and I feel like I'm kind of a little bit fake. In right. That, to in be that, an like, expert in pediatrics. Right. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and all I have is like the experience that I've had in colonies and then just treating them here, which half it just like, mm, it says you can do it in this, in this paper, but it's Joe Schmo's opinion, but we're going to try it. That's what, that's what we've been doing for yeah. like the past 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Um, and so I think, 
just seeing the, the dogs that, and cats that I've seen in colonies, like that, that number sounds appropriate. Again, not based on any research, not, not no data to support that, just p- like clinical opinion, which is like the most annoying and frustrating thing about pediatrics is that it's literally just opinion. Even when like we have dystocias come in and you see the differences between like the ECC team and uh, our repro team, again, we're, we're looking at plums, we're dosing the oxytocin based on plums. Our repro specialist is like, no, go up, you know, five, five units this time, 10 units this time. And we're like, like, wait, ah, what? That's not, that. that's not what plum says. Um, no. And so, but the, there is nothing so to just collective experience. Right. And right. if you've been doing it for 30 years, you've just, you've made all the mistakes, right? And so right. therefore you're the expert, but we see them relatively infrequently. Um, all right. So then as somebody who has a particular interest in this and you like the babies, um, which is impressive given how hard it is to feel comfortable with it. Like, I think that's probably the other thing is so many people are like, there's nothing out there, so we don't know. And so this is scary. And so I'm going to avoid this, right? Like this is not going to be the area. So kudos to you for actually being like, yeah, I want to, I want to do this thing. You're kind of like the zoom ed people. You're like, we're just, we're just guessing. So, um, um, I guess you can look at the other side. You can't, it doesn't matter. You you can't be wrong if we don't actually know what's right. So, but what would you say are, so two, two things I'm going to, I'm going to ask you. So if you've got one, we'll come back to it. But um, what would you, what advice would you give to, you know, ER doctors or residents who are kind of training right now, or those of us who finished our training and still don't know, um, you know, kind of what are the the key things that you would want people to remember? And then to, the second question is, what are the areas, um, the, the research areas that you think are the most important for us to answer these questions first, if okay. that makes sense? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess... Um, kind of like exotics, I feel like husbandry is huge for these mm. guys. And so I think that that's, um, it's, and it's not something people are normally used to because especially like just seeing experience with the residents here, like I, I've bottle raised, I don't even know how many kittens most people here have not. I mean, it's a time consuming nope, process. I avoid it <laughs> for sure. Um, but it definitely teaches you, it teaches you a lot about them. And so, that's a good point. um, I think just kind of knowing those standard things that they do and, and having raised them knowing like, Oh yeah, yeah. Forever. You know, the first two weeks, they're pretty much blind, deaf, can't thermoregulate. Um, you need to stimulate them all the time, feed every two hours, make sure you're weighing them daily. Are you trying them... to convince people to do this? Yeah. That... Yes, yeah. I'm selling it. <laughs> They're really cute. Um, Eventually. (laughs) Uh, But I think paying attention to all those things and just in general, I don't know. It's like, I I feel like it's kind of, again, like a a fake thing to say. It's a little see one, do one, teach one You just just watch them and you're like, you know what? He is not where he was yesterday. And I think it becomes almost like a, besides knowing kind of the, the normals for things and seeing them go poorly. Like I've, I've definitely fed a puppy that was like 93 degrees he aspirated and died. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't have it and I need crop seed him. So like I knew, I knew yeah. that's what happened to him. Yeah. Um, obviously didn't do like histopath on his lungs right. based on the way they you looked in the yeah. floating and not lack of floating and whatnot, like yeah. kind, of, kind of fit. Um, and so, uh, so you're saying, okay, I've, I've been told right. not warming them before feeding right. them is a bad thing. And then I did that and right. that thing happened that they yep. told me was going to happen. Okay. I tend to believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And just like, um, I mean, we've done so many different catheters with them. We've done, I've done, been tube feeding kittens since, uh, since college. So like I, I, got used to like how they respond to the tube versus like the volume that you can give them, the calculations for their milk requirements, um, what their feces look like. Um, and then I've had, you know, kittens that were constipated and giving them enemas and in general, that tends to be a, a 
poor, if, if you're getting to that point, it's a poor prognosis. Even like the difference yeah, in, the, in you, the diet. If you need an enema at that age just to poop, I'd say it's not looking so hot, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's just like paying attention to those trends and, and what we have documented as the normals, again, not having a ton of, uh, we have more about like the, the TPR kind of stuff and the physical exam stuff. Yeah, you can yeah. you can do those things and those things are pretty well known. Um, and again, making just constantly keeping a close eye on them. I think that's the... Yeah. The cool thing about them is that they just they change so much, and if you change their environment, just like the exotic animals, like you could really yeah. tank them out just based on, on environmental changes. So what you're um, saying is I should stop discouraging our residents from taking home puppies and kittens. Yeah, they should. It's a project. Um, it's I told them that's experience. a terrible idea, but you're saying this is actually really good for their training. I don't know if I you're backtracking. So. Yeah, I think okay. so. No, I mean sense. minus the one time that uh, I forgot about my kittens when I after being here overnight and then oh. they got a little dehydrated, but we, we fixed you them. You pulled them through. <laughs> all right, good. So even if you they were hospitalized in the ICU for a day, but they, 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 but they pulled through. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and I guess as far as like research areas, um, we talked a little bit about like having a plan to see how, how drugs would affect them. So, I mean, and that, that is so broad because we, there's even like debate now, like, can you give Serenia at eight weeks? And I mean, we give it to, to power puppies all the time and there, can we, I don't know, uh, Batril. We can and, give it. Right. It's whether or not what, what's <laughs> going to happen. Effect? Yeah. yeah. Um, Batril and cartilage in growing puppies. Is, is that real or is that like, is that substantiated or I don't like, know. what, what is the data I mean, there? And that's a very good question. is a difference in small breed versus large breed dogs and what time frame of their growing? Does it matter? Like the, those would be That's those another would be, thing I've never even questioned. Yeah, I, yeah. I I learned that. Yeah. Um, but that it I mean, can affect their cartilage. We're like they're septic. They need it. Like that's right. We don't <laughs> care. That's true. From a criticalist standpoint, we go meh. Whatever. That seems like Screw the best the thing to do. Yeah. We do the same thing with genomycin or something. It's like yeah. Eh, well, you can die of this I infection. Mean, and, that's, or maybe and that's we'll another one too. Yeah. Is like they're they're not they're not concentrating their urine technically until they're they're eight weeks old or so ish that we think. Um, <laughs> and and we have these sick pneumonia puppies that are you know doing terribly at a end up adding on amicacin. Well, like how much are we impacting their kidneys at, the, at that time point? If they can't yeah. even concentrate, um, by the time we see changes in their BUN, if we can even get blood samples on them, if their pneumonia is that bad and they're that small, like probably not. Yep. We're just um, going to do what we can. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's for me when I get, and, and I feel a little bit better about my approach when I hear that 30% of them aren't maybe going to make it anyway. But, um, you know, two things. One, if a client comes in and they say, this isn't right, I believe them because yeah. they, you know, even if it's only been a few days, like that's been an intense few days. And so they noticed a change. I'm going to believe them, um, which kind of goes along with your like, just do it. And then you learn, you learn right. just from experience. So, you know, trusting the client who says this isn't right, or I'm like comparing the, it to yeah, the other ones the, or whatever. The, the breeder who actually watch, who you trust is watching them or exactly. had previous litters and, and knows. Yeah. But also like, if I try something, I, I, I'm trying something. Right. It might not work. I always, of course, warn clients that this might not work. And, you know, they are fairly fragile at this age. But um, I'm fairly confident if I do nothing, we're going to continue down the spiral that we're, we're going down. So there is there is some of that that, like, okay, well, maybe we can't get blood work every day. Maybe we can't do all this. It's kind of similar to when you have a client that just can't afford to right, do things. Right, right. You work within the limitations that you have. Um, and, you know, giving it a chance, if you know, as long as clients understand and are willing. Um, so, okay, so you, you want to do more research on what effect, you know, the drugs have on these, you know, question some of the, yeah. this old, old, you know, this is always how it is and this is what we know, but do we really know it? So kind of revisiting some of those things. Mm -hmm. What, what other research areas would you? Um, yeah, again, with like the, the reference ranges and things like that. And I think the other kind of cool thing to look at just because we've had a couple of them too, is like puppies on ventilators. Mm -hmm. Um, cause we've had in the past year, a good number of like puppies who have drowned in, in pools here in Florida. Um, and it was interesting to me cause I've never, I've never actually had to, again, um, not the, the most uh, experience when it comes to ventilators 
violating. But um, for all of those puppies, there was not a drug protocol that I could use mm. to keep them sedate. Like I, I had them on Dex Med with some fentanyl, Medaz. And they were laughing at you. And they were, yeah, bucking the vent like crazy. Mm. Um, so I actually, every single puppy I've, I've paralyzed yeah. uh, on the vent and it's gone much better. Um, so even just looking at things like that, again, like that, that's, just my experience yeah. with it, but, yeah. um, interesting what they do with like, does that, is it just a drug metabolism issue? Is it just, you know, them being puppies? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Um, Very but just like, questions. just like interesting <laughs> protocols with those things. They've yeah. also like were, um, they've had a, a few other alterations with their like hypercapnia. Again, I don't know whether it was related to their size too with a ventilator. So that's which, been yeah. my experience with not just puppies, but anything really right. small, right. Is that, you know, rebreathing becomes an issue, right. but maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe it's not just rebreathing because we do have better circuits and, and systems we, now that are set have, up for neonates. Yeah. Um, but we don't even so know standard title volumes for puppies. So like, is that something that you can is try and figure out? Same. Like, is that, is it different? I, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, and, and depending yeah. on what, what age category. So maybe that's so like, part yeah, of it yeah. is that we just don't have the right title yeah. volume figured out. That's a good point too. So <laughs> more questions than answers <laughs> right. as, as, as it tends to be. But um, let's see. What other, uh, uh, other thoughts or you know, concerns, questions, or pearls, wisdom pearls. that um, you would share. <laughs> feel like I don't have a ton. What um What are the references, the resources that you use? Um, I should have. I have like three books in my office, but um, there's uh the I think it's the guide, the like neonatal guide and guide to first yeah. year of life that we have downstairs in our in our ECC room. That one's actually fairly good. That one has um kind of like a, the the most supported data I'd say mm-hmm. I got a, a new book and again I'm blanking on the name that I have it at home um, we can we can put it in the comments or something right, I don't right. know if that that's a thing we it could, seems yeah, like people we do, do we'll post it if we if we publish this then we can put some titles and things on yeah. there so people can use that and I got this like the other one's a breeding book and I think it's written by a breeder slash vet technician and it's uh, to me, it seems I was kind of disappointed. It was fairly basic, but for someone who doesn't have like the, the husbandry yeah. thing down, yeah. it seems to be fairly accurate and descriptive in things. Yeah. Um, and just, then the orange pediatrics book—that's yeah, the one I always that's the, that's the first one that we have okay. downstairs. There's <laughs> a really good like pregnancy and parturition book, um, which has uh, a decent amount about just like pregnant, like yeah. for working with bitches and things like that. So. I feel like there's a there's more on those on like yeah. the uh on the pregnancy the dystocias all of those issues um you know the the reproductive issues in the adult animal um but it's like that's not the same thing yeah. Yeah. um so that's that's what i've found and even that there's not enough admittedly like that's an understudied area in veterinary medicine in companion animal medicine for sure um but like the pediatrics and the neonates uh, neonates even more than the pediatrics which mm-hmm. again there's different definitions to right. opening but the really really young ones are the ones that we know very very little about and again Lots of reasons why that may be, but hopefully, um, you know, we can start to start to get a little more information or challenge the old, you know, dogma, yeah. uh, dogmas that would say, always do this, never do that. And, and maybe some of those are just kind of came out of someone's experience that, you know, I came from somewhere, but not, you know, good challenged research that we can say, yeah, I, I can defend this. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, um, thank you. For coming and joining me this <laughs> afternoon. I think that was uh, a nice, interesting chat. Um, so, yeah, we'll post some of those textbooks um, can, yeah, the, on the, the website or wherever we... Yeah. I don't... I have, we'll figure this out, and then we'll, right. we'll post some things so people can can have that. And uh, excellent. Hopefully, I will stop... I'll stop hitting the table, but you, <laughs> you, you will join us next time. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.